0: Well, good morning. It's been uh a... it seems like it's been a while since I've been here, but it really hasn't been a while since I've been here. Just it's been a while since I've been here. Um, being on vacation and uh, spending time on the road uh, was uh, a good time, and I was glad to, to have the time with the family, uh, my immediate family and also my extended family in Texas, but it is sure uh, good to be home here at Covenant Baptist Church. It's good to be here with you this morning and uh, the time on the road allowed um, me to uh, think um, and meditate in a way on on our verse this morning that we're going uh, to be looking at. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four as we continue our study here in the book of Ephesians. And we see and as we've been recognizing and as I've been kind of hammering it in uh I'm <laughs> Into your minds that we we've met a transition in our book uh, in Ephesians here in chapter four verse one, moving from doctrine to devotion, where we had the heavenly reality of the exalted Christ in in chapters one through three. We now look to the earthly reality of the exalted Christ, and what's interesting as we think about this is. We have in verses one through three, the doctrine of uh, we have um, implications to as well as explicit doctrines of God uh, found in there, as well as doctrines of salvation, the mysteries of Christ, the doctrine um, doctrines of hermeneutics in that way. And you would think that that would be enough to jump straight from there to. Marriage, to parenting, to uh, to your vocation. Uh, To spiritual warfare. Uh, But uh, the Spirit knows better, and certainly through the pen of the Apostle, uh, we're able to recognize also uh, that He knew better. That, as we see, there is this inner intervening chapters, chapters four and five, which I've um, given a thematic title to as the earthly reality of the exalted Christ. Well, this is related related to the church. This is related to the the church gathered locally. It's related to the church that gathers um, globally on his day. And so when we think about the doctrines of God and we think are the doctrines of our faith, and then we think about the application of those doctrines into our lives, we should not jump from one to the other, but we should do it through the conduit by which Christ has ordained it and that is the local church that is those who he has gifted us uh, gifted to to do that and as well as we're going to do this morning is contemplate and think about our own individual place in light of that and so as we've been going through this section in in chapters 4 and 5 we've been seeing that there is a, a unity amongst the body of Christ it's a spiritual unity but the spiritual unity is to be visible it's not to be uh, given um, just lip service to but it's actually supposed to be exercised it's supposed to be maintained and though we recognize it cannot be created we have been given the task to maintain it And so we've been looking at this idea of unity, and we've seen that it's made up of, as we worked our way through the first part of Ephesians chapter 4, humility, gentleness, and patience. And this humility, gentleness, and patience is expressed in love and in peace. It's founded upon the oneness of our triune God. The idea that the wealth is not ours, it is a divine gift. The strength is not ours. It is the inspiration of the divine life. The dignity is not ours. It is conferred on us by the free, unpurchased uh, love of God because we are in Christ. We recognized a few weeks ago, the last time I, I preached, that this is expressed in the creedal language of verses 4 through 6 where the apostle plays on the term one to stress the essential unity of the church in these three verses. And this term we recognize occurred seven times and it had three times, it had three triads, three times in the first triad of nouns, three times in the second triad. And finally once in the reference to God in four, six, who is a summary of all the unities in himself. it should be noticed that each of these three groups of one is grouped around a reference to each of the three persons of the Trinity. It is said that we are to be one body and we we noted that all who are joined by the spirit through faith to Christ belong to his body and are kin to everyone else. So joined to Christ. There is one spirit. Therefore, there is only one spirit. It is his indwelling binding presence that gives the church. It's essential oneness. There is one hope. Every Christian is traveling in the same direction, whether we are aware of it or not. Our ultimate destination is the constant of our spirit wrought union with Christ to be forever with the Lord there is one Lord everyone who owns Jesus as Lord who bows before the grace and sovereignty of his saving Lordship not only as an obligation to acknowledge as family all such believers but also to recognize openly that they are family there is one faith not all Christians are confessional Calvinists this is a simply a fact the one faith Paul is highlighting here is the saving faith that has the lord jesus christ as its foundation epicenter and omega point there is one baptism baptism into the one name of the Holy Trinity, marking us out as those on whom God has placed his name. Our baptism is intended to mark us out publicly as belonging to God and his church. It does not and cannot affect that belonging, but it is the divinely commanded sign to publicize that we are not our own one God and father here. Again, we recognize a triad and so we may also recognize the Trinity in this passage Paul writes of God the Father who is above all and through all and in all. All things are from God who owes his existence to no one. All things are through him as though to say through the mediator, all things are. All things are in him as though to say in the one who contains them, that is reconciles them in one spirit. Now, as the conjunction indicates, as we finally have reached our verse this morning, the conjunction, but they're translated, but (laughs) marks a new point. It's a linking point. A new linking point is being taken up, essentially moving from unity. Now to diversity. Moving away from, in some ways, against divine oneness, as we find the unity of the church rooted in, to creaturely compositeness, as the church is creature and so is composite. It's made up of parts. A diversity of parts, a diversity of gifts as we will take the language of it. So follow along as I read for us our next section that we'll only be addressing verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As the, gra- the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, to contemplate one word in your scripture is enough to satisfy us for ages. And so as we contemplate one verse, Lord, I recognize we do so with a sense of limitedness and finitude. But we give glory to you this morning that we approach this verse as one not given to us by men, but one breathed out by you, breathed out for our very nourishment and comfort so we ask that this would be accomplished this morning you would do so for your glory alone and we would do so to your great and wonderful praise and we pray these things in christ's name amen Amen. Well, as we look at this uh, section and as we really look at this verse and recognize it again, here we are uh, speaking of a transition in a transition chapter, this linking verse here between what has come before and what will come after, we must recognize that as we see that something is being given, it's being given according to something, and there is a, a, um, a magnitude to that which is been given and a direction to that which has been given. And so as we are looking at one verse this morning, I was thinking about this idea of unity with diversity or, or unity in diversity. Sounds uh, very uh, in vogue D- uh, during our day and age, this, there's diversity uh, police or diversity sections now in different parts of our society to make sure that there's just the right mixture of ethnic uh, backgrounds within a given group or or a given uh, class of people. And so, what we're what we're not talking about though is a Um, A manufactured diversity one in which you go and you think uh, that uh, there is a whole set like I I collected baseball cards when I was a kid and you had to get the whole set one through 150 usually more than that and uh, the baseball card companies were very clever because usually there was a few that you never really ever got and only one person would get it and you wondered how they did but Thank <laughs> you diversity in the church is not like that. We don't need a, we're not looking for a complete set as it, as it is as it relates to external things or uh, we, we recognize and we'll see that there is one who decides the level of our diversity. There's one who has diversified uh, his church. But as I was thinking about this idea of unity with diversity and we're looking at one sentence, it's, it's much like a sentence. Thank you. There's grammar, or well, there's a collection of words that are put together. They're put together in an order, and the different words carry uh, different connotations or have a different place, and that's grammar. provides the structure, and there's punctuation. Grammar does give a sentence structure and order, and punctuation provides clarity of meaning, each working together in their component parts to carry the point across. And as I'm always amused at some people's abilities to recognize comedy in ordinary places, I thought I might share with you something that always amuses me when it's pointed out, and that's when people point out road signs or monument signs or marquee signs that lack punctuation. We'll do so this morning to see this idea of when you lack Um, diversity when you lack these uh, these things you lose something and they and often these uh, signs and these monuments and marquees lack punctuation this punctuation lacking in all these is a comma so listen as I read these signs without commas attention toilet only for disabled elderly pregnant children so that's used only for disabled elderly pregnant children people are eating children in this area please leash your dog and clean up after them hunters this one's close to home hunters please use caution when hunting pedestrians caution children drive slowly i'm adding a comma just out of um uh habit that's oh, this one this one is most apt for this morning uh best sausage supper in st louis come and eat pastor thomas (laughs) wrestler and finally one self-aware sign that read i love cooking my family and my pets use commas they save lives I do so uh, because I did think it was funny, uh, but I do so to make a point that as we recognize that uh, these sentences were unified, but they were lacking in diversity. If we read all all the words in the same tone, without pause, in the same vein, there was no inflection, or at least I tried not to give inflection to them. We recognize that there's something lost Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so we can see the little parts of a sentence can play a vital role in the whole. And it's something that as we look at our verse this morning and see how it connects later on to specific gifts that have been given to the church. And then we'll talk about how these gifts then um, play into the rest of the body of Christ. We may think that if we don't possess the ones listed here, we've not been endowed by them, that, that we don't have a real. Important place in church. It often drives people to uh, church hunt. It drives people to um, you know listless list church visitation where they just go in and out of church churches looking for a place that they quote unquote can serve in or, or be useful in. Their view of their gifts is one in which uh, they find themselves, I guess, being a somewhat uh, one-way puzzle piece that only fits into certain settings. But as we're going to see this morning, the littlest parts of a sentence can play a vital role in the whole. The, the smallest are, conser- are considered... Outwardly, the smallest gifts of the body still serve a vital role to the whole in the same way that we recognize what important role a comma would have played in all those signs. And so uh, this is what I think is being emphasized here with the diversity of gifts given to the church, each one working together toward one glorious conclusion, and that is Christ. Brian Chapel, commenting on this verse, makes this apt remark. He says, in this passage Paul clearly establishes that God has gifted the leaders of the church in different ways. And in different proportions and that is all right also we should understand that if there are differences in the church's leaders then surely there are differences among the church's people as well these differences are often an irritation to us it seems as though the world and the church would be so much better if everyone were more alike what's wrong with wanting more persons to be the same just like us The Apostle deals with this question before he ever begins to describe the differing gifts. So before he gets to what these gifts are, before we're going to talk about the use of them in the church, we're going to make some observations about these gifts. And here we will see that these gifts are in every way related to Christ. He begins as we, and this is as far as we'll get this morning in, the, in Scripture, but to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. There are three headings we'll be working under this morning. First, that Christ is the implied agent. Second, Christ is the benefactor. And thirdly, Christ's body is the intended end. Ultimately, Christ's glory is the intended end. Well, Christ is the implied agent because it says here to each one of us, grace was given. So even before we get to that we recognize Paul breaking down the whole into each one of us and he does so in a very specific way because he does so in a letter to the Ephesian church he does so to a letter to a local body of believers does this apply beyond um, the first century Christians in Ephesus yes absolutely but it first comes to them and so through them it comes to us, And so we recognize that the place of the local church in the in the mind of Paul, and certainly we would say in the mind of the spirit was one of vital importance. It was here that a conduit by which each one of us was given context, was given a togetherness. And so each one of us, grace was given. Christ is the actor in this verb, was given. Who who is the giver of the was given? It's Christ who is the actor. Why? For God is the only actor in salvation. And is appropriated that the Son, as compared to the saints, is the agent who descended and ascended. So, he, Paul goes on to say that on the basis of this idea of, first of all, how Christ received these gifts in order to dispense them, which we'll talk about you know, later, but we'll talk about as a role as Christ's benefactor, but also uh in Christ's soul role in descending and ascending. He becomes the sole agent. Those as eventually we'll see is those that were in the lower parts who get ascended with Christ do so because of Christ's agency, not because of their own agency, not because of their own movement between what we will eventually recognize as a different strata of uh, the invisible world. But they do so because of Christ's agency. So if Christ is working in that way and descending and ascending, and we ourselves sitting in this room, none of us here have descended and ascended. Now you get to understand the role, your role in salvation. Your role in salvation is to look to the one who descended and ascended. So in the same way, Christ is the implied agent here. Grace was given. Christ is the actor in this verb. God is the only actor in salvation. Certainly, uh, we under the gift of the spirit who have been given faith have now have this instrument by which we lay hold to the benefits of Christ, which is eternal life and all that is uh, surrounding that or all that is related to that. But for agency purposes, God is the only actor in salvation. And as it relates to Ephesians 4, as appropriated, that the Son, as compared to the saints, is the only agent who descended and ascended or according to his agency, descended and ascended. Why do I say as compared to the saints? Because eventually we're going to get to this, and I'll just give you a little, a little down payment on it, is that uh, the sun goes nowhere that the divine presence was not. He doesn't go and take the divine presence into these lower priors because they weren't there, and then, the, and then, and then finally the divine presence fills all. For we recognize that the, the essence of divinity is uh, omnipresence. It's, it's everywhere. God is everywhere. We teach our children that in our catechism. Where is God? God is everywhere. So if the Bible recognizes that there's a place or there's a, uh, a, a place labeled as the lower parts, God is there. If there's a place labeled as hell, God is there. God is the one who is in all, is over all, through all, and in all. There's this theme also that runs through this section, even down beyond it, of filling, of filling all things. And so, as we recognize that Christ is the implied agent here... We recognize that he does so according to his agency, his agency and this mission of filling, of filling all things, that this is Christ's mission. And so we recognize that Christ has given us certain gifts. We use them according to his agency. It's according to his mission, not our own, not for our own gain, not for vainglory, glory. We do so as we present them back to the one who has given them to us. And we recognize as Christ being the giver is he is the benefactor. He is the one who has and gives. He is the one who has inherited and then bestows upon his posterity, upon his children, According, in our verse 7, it says, according, so this grace, each one of us, given, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts, gift. This denotes that God not only gives each believer a gift, he also determines the amount of the gift, Again, we're we're going to make emphasis on those that imagine themselves as having insignificant offerings to the church as as they they think they don't have much uh, to offer a church. And as you know, our structure of our church is eventually I'm not going to end this sermon with now go and sign up. We have a lot of volunteer opportunities. No, the gifts that we're eventually going to be talking about, or at least the the end of these gifts is going to be the mutual love of one another, the building up one another, according to the gifts that have been given to us and have actually been measured out to us by Christ, because he is the one who has earned them. He is the one who has uh, earned the right of them. Again, Paul makes the point. By which, by why, how has Christ earned these things? Because he is the one who has descended and ascended. Harold uh, honer says this. He says... um, that, oh, excuse me, Alan says, Christ measures out this gift to each and every man and woman. Christ is the giver, and Christ is the one who measures the allotment of each gift. And so, if Christ is the one who's the giver, and then he's also the measurer, then what we must understand about that is. Uh, You can imagine it to be something, it's probably going to break down really quick after the first level of this analogy, but go with me here. The Christ is the baker, and many of you have baked here, or at least understand the idea of baking, and you measure out each ingredient, and you put it in not everybody measures things out i remember when we got a recipe from my grandma i think to make tamales there was no measurement it was a list of ingredients we were by this time she had already uh, had passed away and so we were without any help my mom helped us a little bit with the memory but most people measure out at least the first time the ingredients and Even the smallest of ingredients are recognized by the one who is the maker. The baker recognizes each and every ingredient, knows their use in the recipe, or at least as they come to understand the recipe, they know their use. And so from a very small to a very greater way, think of Christ. Think of this idea that as we're emphasizing smaller things this morning, that would mean that there are no unnoticed gifts before God. That would, that would mean that if you consider yourself um, the, the smaller gifts, if you think the Lord has endowed you with smaller gifts or a smaller measure of gifts, know that... It may be unnoticed to the body, though I think we should strive to to see these in other people, but they don't go unnoticed before God for if he's the baker, he knows what makes up the final product. He knows what he's looking for and in in doing so and what he has given you, he knows that he has given you as much and he is pleased with your use of what he has given you. We also must recognize that in certain areas and in certain gifts, that these aren't static. The Lord grows these gifts in people. These measures can be measured out again and be given more. We know that. People grow in their gifts in the Lord. Where one may have was generous to a certain end at some point, they're immensely more generous as the spirit works in them later on. And we can continue on in that example after example. So Christ is the benefactor, which means he determines the amount of the gifts. And if he is the one who determines the amount of the gifts, then no gift is unnoticed before God, no matter how small, no matter how much you think it's it's not doing anything to the body. It's as important as those commas that we read about earlier. It'll be as important as an individual body part. And if you were missing a certain body part, that would be less of a body, wouldn't be a whole body. Your body wouldn't grow appropriately. So Christ is the implied agent. Christ is also the benefactor. Christ's body is the intended end. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now, we have to look at the implication of that, that there is a, there is a so what in later on. In verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And eventually we'll get to see the glorious results of that as it roots us and grounds us in our faith. That we would not succumb to the trickery of men or the craftiness or deceitful schemings of the evil one. And so we recognize that Christ's body is the intended end. Chrysostom says, pay attention to what he says. He does not say according to each one's faith so that he may not induce despondency in those who have not received great gifts. Rather, what does he say? He says, according to the measure of Christ's gifts, the truly capital things he says are common to all, baptism, salvation by faith, having God as Father and partaking of the same Spirit. If someone has more in grace, feel no resentment for his task is greater too. Thank you. What does according to the measure mean? It does not mean according to your own merit. For if so, then no one would have received what he has received. But of his gift, we have all received. Why has one received more and another less? This, he says, means nothing. But it is a matter of indifference, since each person contributes to the work of upbuilding. We allowed Chrysanthem there to sum up some things for us to get down to that final uh, sentence each person contributes to the work of upbuilding. each person continues contributes towards the growth of the body to the building up of the new temple. Each person contributes to this novel of a story that God is writing of church history, of his faithfulness and his wondrous works and mighty deeds. We recognize that Christ's body is the intended end. So as we eventually, as we get to these gifts and we look at them and we recognize that these are some gifts that that at least in the modern church or I'm sure down through the ages, though, sin is the same man's uh, proclivity towards idol worship is the same have, have garnered much attention, some to the detriment of of other better things to obtain. But eventually we're going to get to these gifts and we're going to talk about them specifically. But before we get there, it's important for us just to recognize these things about these gifts, that they're all related to Christ, that they're all towards Christ, that they're all for the building up of Christ's body. They're not to be used for ourselves. So oftentimes we we recognize that those that withhold themselves from the gathering of the body of Christ For reasons other than providence do so to their own detriment we recognize that we want them to be here we want them to participate in the means of grace but we also we need to recognize is that they do so to our own detriment because Christ's body and the building up of the body is the intended end the glory of Christ in the bride the unveiling of this water washed bride Is the whole body together? Is the whole body having been built up? It's not it is in some ways that there's stations in the local churches, but in each church we can we can say it, it equals the whole to a certain extent. we obviously don't have the whole of Christ's body as a membership in at Covenant Baptist Church, but in a sense, the whole of the membership of Covenant Baptist Church is a body. It's, it's a part of the body of Christ, and individually we make it up. And so we are to work towards that. We are to see ourselves in these categories and in these contexts, so that as we recognize what Christ has given us in gifts, in, the minute, in, in being able to, uh, to um, work in love and in peace, maintaining that peace, We may have great motivation. I think we can make some concluding thoughts about this this morning. In light of Christ being the implied agent and the benefactor and the intended end of the gifts given, we are to be present, willing, and humble. First, to be present. Ian Hamilton makes this observation that all Christians should prize the local congregation of Christ and commit themselves to its life, worship, and service. We need one another. When one member suffers, all suffer. When one member rejoices, all rejoice. Too often, Christians see the church and its fellowship like a watering hole, a place to be spiritually replenished, not as a family to love and cherish and belong to, If we are members together of the body of Christ, then our growth in Christ is dependent on us belonging with great commitment to the life of the body. We recognize that I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. I'm preaching. uh, I pray that I'm preaching to the choir because you're all seeking memberships in some congregation. But the encouragement this morning is that your presence on a weekly basis to the gathering of the people, to the gathering of the celebration of the Sabbath of Christ, is not something for you just to come and consume. It's something that you're a part of it's something that you contribute to even if you sit there and you listen and you just engage and you greet each other with a holy kiss and you care for one another and ask about their week and you see how they're doing these things are not just to be laid aside as if they're useless they're working towards the building up of the body of Christ. It's it's probably what, um, as we traveled far, and again, we spent too much time in a car, but it made it feel like we were gone more than one uh, Lord's Day. But it's something that we talked about as we were gone is that... We miss uh, the church we miss being here with with our family we got to gather with other believers in another church and it was great and it was a sweet time especially um, just uh, being together and, and being able to worship the Lord but to be back here and to be encouraged and I'm I mourn for Deborah because she was really looking forward to be here being here but We recognize that being present is something. It's not nothing. It's something. So being present and being the next thing I think we can as a comment concluding comment is that we should be willing. We are to look at our savior and not our status to understand our usefulness. We're not to look at what we think is meager in our gifts and think, well, this isn't very useful. We are to look at Christ We're to look at our Savior who, as Paul will make a point, who descended and ascended, who has accomplished something, who is in all and fills all. There's a fullness of Christ that whatever you think you hold in that hand is a part of that fullness. And so it is useful to the end of giving glory to our Savior. If Christ is the agent, then our gifts are of utmost value. If Christ is the benefactor, then our gifts are from eternal storehouses. If Christ is the intended end, then our gifts are never without needed motive. To use our gifts, and we're trying to figure out the motive for it. Christ is the intended end. His glory is our intended end, so we should never be without a motive. Christ is working. And the instruments, the parts of grammar and punctuation he uses is us. So we should never be without reason to enter into service for our king and our savior. And again, I'm not talking about volunteering to do whatever comes up around related to the church. I'm talking about being a real body with those that you have covenanted with in membership. Finally, as we look at these gifts and we think and we consider uh, their origin, we consider they're in every way related to Christ. Again, we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about Christ. The final thing is that we should be humble. Our being gifted is not a badge of pride, but should drive us deeper into humility before our Savior. John Gill was helpful. He says, It may be observed that every member of Christ and minister of his receive more or less grace and gifts from him, and that what they receive is all of free grace and in measure. And though they may have gifts differing from one another, yet all are useful, so that there is no room for pride, envy, and contempt, which would break in upon the unity of the Spirit. Again, recognize the wisdom of the Spirit of the Lord as he's working through the pen of Paul where he's moving from these doctrines of God and of salvation and of all these wonderful truths and now he's gonna we're gonna apply these into our lives and so he brings in this idea of unity that we're all together because eventually as we apply these to our marriages which are different Because we're all married to different people as they apply them to our parenting which is different because we all have different children as he applies them to our vocation which is different because we're all employed differently and employed by different people we're all uh, we all work under different authority he before he gets there he speaks of our unity. Before he talks about individual spiritual warfare, he talks about us as one moving unit. How much more encouraging is it, being that I've never experienced this? But I can imagine it must be much more encouraging to be in a battle alongside someone, nonetheless a whole army of people, than it is to think that you are the one lone soldier holding out to the very end. And so to take time to express our unity and knowing that what can come and destroy unity, is pride, envy, and contempt. Because as the Lord dispenses His gifts, He dispenses of them according to His good and perfect purposes. And so for us to maintain the unity, we must see that and observe that these gifts are all related to Christ, and so they are to be held in likewise humility that the creator of all things whom we depend upon not just for our continued survival but our very existence this creator has graciously endowed his creation with gifts of himself to write a novel of his glory through us so for us to if it's a novel being written to measure ourselves and say, well, my word is longer than your word, certainly more complicated or more vital or more important, or to look at somebody else and go, man, I just wish I had what they had. I I could be, I I could be a lot more useful. No, we're to look to Christ. We're to look at the one who dispenses, we're to look to the one who measures, we're to look to the one who is the giver. And with the eyes of faith, we're to look to see the glory that is ours in Him that we're all working together for. So as we begin as we continue to look at this idea, the foundation of these gifts. Let us give glory to Christ who perfectly dispenses these gifts to his church, mixing them in the right portions for his perfect glory and our good. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you glory this morning that we consider such wonderful things as your benevolence to us, your kindness in dispensing of gifts. Oh, Lord, may we be humbled at the reality that we do so in the service of the one who created all things, who sustains all things, who... Keeps all things in being. Who is man, O Lord, that you would think of him? Greater glory still to be given, Lord. We thank you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.